Well, I know I speak for the elders and all the leaders of Cornerstone. That we thank God for the summer mission teams, uh, the 11 men and women that are uh, that have committed to go out this summer have been a source of great encouragement to us as a body, and we we just rejoice with God, rejoice um, and thank God for all of you uh, for your uh, service to the Lord and His kingdom. Seems that as a church, there's a sense that we're entering a new chapter in the history of our church, where we're finally able to play some offense. Um, it seems now we're three years into our church plant. The foundations are slowly coming together. And now finally we're able to impact not just our community, but the world, uh, but the world for Christ. And strategically, we really believe that we couldn't have asked for better places and better pastors to partner with in terms of short-term missions. Um, Pastor Peter Smith, if you know, is the younger brother of Pastor John Smith, who has come and ministered to us several times. He's ministering up at uh, Faith Bible Church, a godly pastor, a godly family. And Peter Smith is no less a godly pastor, and we're excited to partner with him. Pastor uh, Tim Cole and his family, all of you know, know him and his family as well. And just to partner with them strategically, I think it's, it's awesome for us. And for personnel-wise, um, we could not have asked for better people to send than these 11 men and women who will be representing Christ and Cornerstone. As we have prayed and thought about these 11 candidates, we, we wholeheartedly believe that God will mightily work through them this summer. But more importantly, we believe that God will work mightily in their hearts. Yeah, that's my prayer. I know that's Bob's prayer and all the leaders of Cornerstone. It is our prayer that this experience of ministering with such godly pastors, this experience of seeing people lost without Christ, it's different. The lost in America and the lost abroad is different. Because here, as John said, there are churches on every street corner. There's Christian radio. I mean, Christians are present and prevalent in this, in this country. But to go to a city where there's only one church, and to think about people that there's not a single Christian who knows their name. No one's praying for them by name. But the gospel to them is beyond reach for many of these people. It's a life-changing experience. We believe that this experience alone will cause these men and women to come back and really be transformed. It would be a life-changing experience. And we pray that as they come back, that they will commit to uh, really a lifetime of service to our God and His kingdom. And that is my prayer, that God will raise up among these, many, uh, among these uh, 11 men and women, that God will raise up full-time workers for His kingdom. That among the men, God will raise up a few full-time pastors. And definitely... That out of, these, out of these 11, that God will raise up full-time missionaries. And some of them will go and fall in love so much with Ireland or Czech Republic that they will want to stay. That they see God working in the church at Athlone or Cabot in the future or with Peter Smith. They desire to go back. They desire to go back long-term. Um, that is our prayer. And definitely that each one of you will come back and commit to what God is, commit to the work that God is doing here, and that you will really challenge us, spur us on in our evangelism 
and in our commitment to world missions. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we consider it a privilege to serve you, to herald your gospel to this world. Lord, we understand that this commission was given to the disciples in the New Testament, but through them they were given to each Christian here. That this is a personal, individual, non-transferable, and urgent commission given to every believer. Lord, you would impress upon us the importance of this command today as we ponder upon the great commission given to us in the Gospel of Matthew. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, before we get, get carried away by the emotions of our mission service, let me start by giving you some sobering statistics. Maybe sad statistics. 95% uh, of Christians, of all Christians, have never won a soul to Christ. 95%. 80% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. Less than 2% are involved in the ministry of evangelism. 71% of all Christians do not give towards the financing of the Great Commission. 70 to 80% of all church growth in America is transfer growth. 70 to 80%. It's not non-Christians becoming Christians, but it's Christians changing membership. A majority of people who become Christians drop out of the church in six to eight weeks. A prominent pastor and a professor at a seminary said this, the church is so callous towards evangelism that if he were to convert a few people, he wouldn't bring them to church. Because they would not be welcome. A church would not embrace them. A church won't commit to disciple them. And he would keep them outside of the church and disciple them alone. At the same time, churches put $4 into real estate for every dollar given to world missions. It seems that giving and commitment towards world evangelism is at an all-time low and it's getting worse. The missionary fervor has clearly dimmed in the church today. A lack of passion for the lost, a passion for the lost is lacking in the church today. It seems that many, if not most of us, have forgotten that there is a spiritual war raging in the world today. That we're lulled into a false, a false thinking that, that all is at peace. Everything is okay. That, that in the end, all will be saved. Christians have by and large shifted their biblical ambitions to world, um, worldly ambitions. The common ambitions of Christian men and women today are 2.5 kids, 3 car garage, a single detached home in the suburbs, promotion at work, a solid retirement plan, involvement at church, soccer league, and a few hobbies. This laundry list seems to sum up the ambitions of most Christian men and women in America. This is so far removed from the ambitions that the Word of God teaches us. This is so far removed from what the Word of God teaches us. If we were to ask the Apostle Paul, Paul, what is your ambition in life? What is your goal? What is your purpose in your life? I believe we found the answer. We find the answer in Romans 15:20. Paul says, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, 
so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul says, my aim in life, my life-consuming passion, my mission in life, is to proclaim the gospel to those who have not heard. What a privilege we have to go and proclaim the gospel in Ireland and England. I believe that Apostle Paul would have given his right arm for that privilege, for that opportunity to proclaim the gospel in these countries. That is why Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. May God curse me. May a curse be put upon my life. May I be condemned before a holy God if I do not proclaim the gospel. This ambition, this attitude and mindset is not just for Paul. It's not just for these 12 apostles. It's not just for super Christians or those in ministry. This ambition must be the ambition of every Christian. Every person professing to follow Christ as their Lord and Savior. Every Christian is under orders. It is our responsibility. It is our call in life to proclaim this good news. John R. Mott, he's a, he was a Christian leader of the past century. He was part of the student volunteers movement where he rallied collegians, especially from Ivy League colleges, to abandon their secular ambitions and to go into the world to proclaim the gospel. Streams of young men and women lined up to go into the inner inland cities of Africa and Asia. And they gave their lives for the gospel. And he was one of the pivotal leaders of that movement. And he writes, The obligation to evangelize the world, which presses in among the young people of our day, is the most urgent obligation. The Christians who are now living must preach Christ to the non-Christians who are now alive, if they are ever to hear of Christ. The Christians of a past generation cannot do it. They are dead and gone. The Christians of the next generation cannot do it. By that time, the present non-Christians will be dead and gone. Each generation of Christians must make Christ known to its own generation of non-Christians if they are to have the knowledge of Christ. End quote. I believe what he is saying is that this responsibility to proclaim Christ to the lost it's an urgent responsibility. It's an individual responsibility. And it is non-transferable. That you and I, we can't pass the book to anyone else. That it is given to us individually. The believer who is dedicated to glorifying God. He or she must be unwavering in his or her commitment to evangelize the world. Simple. One means the other. If you're committed to God, you must be committed to world evangelism. Without equivocation, the believer must embrace the Great Commission. It must become his personal ambition in life to win souls for Christ. To win souls for Christ. You know, conversely, you can look at it this way. A believer who is not committed to winning the loss for Christ must re-examine his relationship with Christ. Really, really ask some serious questions about the validity and the genuineness of one's faith. 
If today your heart is not burning for the lost, if you're not praying for the lost that God would save sinners, if you're not weeping because millions, let alone billions, are lost without the gospel, you need to today, right now, before the end of the sermon, before the end of the service, really question your love for Christ. You need to really ask, is Christ really the Lord of your life? That cannot be true when His last and great commission is to proclaim the gospel to this world. We call that the great commission. A passage read this morning by Rex, Matthew 28, 18-20. It is given to us at a most important time. The timing of the command is very important because it is given at the end. It's given after his perfect life, his perfect ministry. It's given after his passion week. It's given after his death, after the suffering. It's given after the resurrection and just before his ascension. He gives this com commission to the church that was existing at the time and therefore through them to all of us. The great commission. Let's go to the text. Look at verse 16. We see the Lord's presence. Matthew writes that 11 disciples were there. Verse 16, 12 minus Judas. He says that Jesus appeared to them, verse 17, and he faithfully records all the facts that some doubted. This really points to the veracity, the, the, the truthfulness of the gospel writers. That he, he writes even the embarrassing uh, details of, of what happened, of the historical events. Some doubted whether this was a Christ, whether it was really him, whether this was true. Well, Christ comes to them in verse 18. And he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he declares his authority, his power. Now verse 19 is somewhat important to understand verse 18. Verse 19 starts out with a key word. It says, therefore. Therefore, go and make disciples. That word therefore is key. It's important. Christ is saying that all evangelism, all disciple making, is based upon a precluding truth. A precluding fact. And what is that? That precluding fact is that all authority in heaven, earth, under the earth has been given solely to Christ. Given once for all. The authority is exousia. It means legitimate authority and the power to exercise the authority. It's the legal right and the ability, that the physical power to exercise that right. Christ says all the authority has been given to me, therefore go. Therefore go and make disciples. That our ministry is one of, from the position of power and authority, not out of weakness. It tells us that Christ's supreme authority is the basis for all evangelism and missions. But guys, that we're not going to England and to Ireland and and Czech Republic, we're not ministering in Orange County, California, hoping that this thing flies. I hope that people will respond to the gospel. I hope this works. We're not sure. Let's try and see if it works out. No, that is not the case. Christ stands at the right hand of God. He has been given all authority. And therefore, He sends us to proclaim this gospel. Therefore, the, the salvation of the lost is not a possibility, but it is a promise. It's a guarantee. Christ says sinners will be saved. The church will thrive. 
The gates of Hades will never overcome the church of Christ until I return. It'll stand. Because he is a sovereign king. We need not worry. We need not be anxious. We need not lose heart. God's will will be done. And those that God has called will be saved. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? But we've already won. Because Jesus has full authority and he has commissioned it. This is what John Piper writes, quote, Young people today don't get fired up about denominations and agencies. They get fired up about the greatness of a global God and about the unstoppable purpose of a sovereign king. <clears throat> the first great missionary said, we have been given grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, Romans 1.5. Missions is for the sake of the name of God. It flows from a love for God's glory and for the honor of his name. It is an answer to the prayer, hallowed be thy name. Christ says, all authority. I am the sovereign king. I am the sovereign ruler. And then he makes his proclamation, verse 18. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now in that sentence, the main verb, the imperative, the only command is make disciples. That's the main thrust of that sentence. Make disciples. Important to understand what he didn't say. He didn't say make believers who disagree with the Bible. He didn't say make church attenders. He didn't say make Christian governments. He didn't say make Christian nations. He said simply make disciples, implying disciples of Christ. The Greek word is mathetes, and it encompasses two thoughts. <clears throat> the first thought is a learner. Right? Someone who is a learner. Uh, apprenticeship was common. A, a tradesman would learn a trade from his master. So a disciple of Christ <clears throat> was called to learn truth. Learn about theology. Learn the word of God from Christ. Through the word of God. So one key idea is the one, one of a learner. Second idea connotes more than just a good student. It talks about the idea of someone who has a close relationship with the master. It's not just student-teacher, but, but really a close, tight-knit bond between a master and servant. An intimate relationship, almost like a father-son relationship. Our Lord was telling them, and He's telling us to raise men and women of God who will know the truth but will, will also have a living and vibrant relationship with the living God. And that is our mission. That is the ambition that all of us all must have. To be disciples of Christ. And to turn around and make disciples. And there is an important qualifier there. Our Lord says, make disciples of all the nations. Of all the nations, ethnos. The commission of Christ is that we take the gospel to all the nations, to all the ethnic groups. Why? Because if anything is clear from the Old Testament, it is that God is a missionary God. 
that, our God, that God's intention was always worldwide. He blessed Israel. He blessed Abraham Israel so that he might bless the whole world. The Lord's heart is not just for Jerusalem. It's not just for Judea or Samaria, but for the whole world. We must understand this as Christians and as a church. At Christ's command, Christ's commission is to make disciples of all the nations. Let me give you guys a brief history of modern missions. And to just highlight how this truth impacted uh, three pivotal men in modern missions. In the latter half of the past century, there was not a single missionary in all of Africa. Can you believe that? After the Reformation, after the Puritans, not a single missionary in all of Africa. You know what happened? Um, Hyper-Calvinism took over Western countries. Particularly Europe, and the States as well. They were so stressed the sovereignty of God that they ignored individual responsibility. And they said, if God's going to save the lost, he will do it in his time and his way. We don't need to fret. Well, a man named William Carey said, that's wrong. That's wrong because Matthew 28 says all nations, not just European nations, not just Western nations, but all nations. He wrote a tract calling Christians to commit to world evangelism. And he went to India. And he did mission work for 40 years. He spearheaded a missions movement that spurred thousands of men and women to go to the mission fields. And the modern mission movement was born. Well, after about 30 years of that, many people thought, wow, mission work is done. We're in every country. Missionaries are all over the world. We're nearing the end of global missions, of world evangelism. But upon closer examination, they found that most of the work was being done in the coastal cities. For example, in China, like Shanghai, all these coastal cities like Hong Kong, there were missionaries there, but not in the inland. Not in the inland of these countries. Hudson Taylor said, that's not right. Because Christ said all the nations, not just part of the ethnic group, but all the nations. He said, that's not enough. And he told them, we must go into the interiors of this country and proclaim the gospel because there are people there who have never heard of Christ. And the mystery said, Hudson Taylor, that's crazy. We're barely holding on in the coastal cities. We don't have the manpower. We don't have the resources to do this kind of work. And Taylor said, God will answer. God has the authority. He has called us all nations. So he called, he spearheaded a, a next wave of missionaries going into the interiors of Asia and Africa. Well, the third prominent figure in the history of modern missions is William Cameron Townsend. After the missionaries have, have gone into the interiors, he realized that these political nations was, was not a homogenous group of ethnic people. That within this, these countries, there were all these scattering ethnic groups, each with their own language, own culture, and their own history. And he discovered that within these people groups, some of them, numbering more than millions, they didn't have a single Christian witness. Not a single Christian witness. They didn't have the gospel in their own language. In the language of that country, but not in their own language. There was not a single church in that whole people group. 
and he started, and he said all nations, and he started, and he founded Wycliffe Bible Translators to translate the Bible to every people group in their own language. You know what, today, 2002, there are currently over 10,000 people groups in the world today without a single gospel witness. 99% right? of mission work is, done, is being done where there's already a witness. These 10,000, not a single church, not a single Christian witness, ministry being done. Some of them number well over millions of people. All without a single gospel witness. If we think, guys, that, you know, wow, you know, our work is done. We're nearing the end. We're kind of coast along and Christ will come back because gospel will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. That is becoming, that's being manifest in our generation. We're sorely mistaken. There is a lot more work to be done in terms of global missions. Maybe this is the reason for the complacency in the Western church. We think the work, work is done when the work isn't done. It's not even close to being done. Billy Graham says it rightly. He says, what makes us Christians shrug our shoulders when we ought to be flexing our muscles? What makes us apathetic in a day when there are loads to lift, a world to be won, and captives to be set free? Why are so many Christians bored when the times demand action? End quote. Christ says, make disciples of all nations, individual commission to every Christian. And then under this main verb, there are three part participles that, that, that expand upon this command. The first participle is go. In the Greek, eris participle, it means as you are going. Christ assumed rightly that they will go and carry the gospel message with them. Right? That we are to go. We're not to stay in Galilee. We're not to stay in Jerusalem. They are to go. And as they go, they are to carry the gospel with them. That God does not command us to be in a holy huddle. To seclude ourselves from this world. We are to be in this world. We are, we are to be going. And as we go, we must be preaching the gospel. Second, Christ tells them and us to baptize believers. Baptize those who profess faith in Christ. A radical commitment, a radical setting apart from this world and being baptized to Christ and to his church. And then thirdly, teach them to obey. Highlighting the importance of teaching the word of God. That all believers are to te teach the word of God. We are to be expert theologians. Expert men and women who handle the word of God accurately. And we are to teach men to obey, not just some of the commands, but everything. To teach them everything that he has commanded us. Right? Destroying the myth that there are important parts of the Bible and unimportant parts. No, it's all important. And it's the responsibility of each Christian to teach everything as we proclaim the gospel. Well, it's a tall order for us. It seems like nearly impossible. Can I do this? But Christ ends with a promise in verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He tells the disciples and he tells us that he is a sovereign ruler, king who has all authority. And he has given us his commission. But he has given us himself as well. That he will be with us to the close of the age. The word there surely 
King James Version, it's behold. It means consider this. Look at this. I am with you. I will not, I will not depart from your side. I will work alongside of you. I will impart, empower you. I will strengthen you for this work until the end. This ensures our protection and this ensures our victory that he will never leave, leave us. He will be at our side helping us do his work. Well, close our time with some final thoughts. I have two sets of applications for all of you. The first set of application is how to respond to the Great Commission. How to respond to the Great Commission. I think all of us, we understand this Great Commission. How are we to respond to it? Number one, be available. Be available. The disciples were available to Christ. Are you available for the Lord's work? Or are you too busy to serve God? Do you have too many friends? You know, I think about just have too many friends. You have too many hobbies, too many interests. You know, so much of life is understanding the majors and the minors. So much of Christian life is not being the thick of thin things. Understanding this is the, these are the thin things of life. These are the shallow things. Now these are the jugular things. And organizing your life so that you are in the thick of thick thick things. That you're in, you're majoring on the majors, if you will. Are you so busy that you have no time for ministry? The greatest ability is availability. Let me repeat that. The greatest ability is availability. The most talented and gifted Christian is useless to God. Useless. Cannot be used by God if he or she is not available to be used. Period. Right? The greatest, most articulate, gifted Christian is Useless to God if he or she is so busy with civilian affairs that he or she is not available to God to serve him when God calls. It's sad to think about this, right? I mean, at the end of, end of your life, it's sad to, to gather around your funeral and say, you know what? This guy had a great jump shot. Man, this guy had a good short game. Or this lady, wow, she had a lot, lot of nice dresses. But he or she, they weren't used for God. They weren't available. They fritter away on these shallow endeavors. And they ignored and neglected the great commission of Christ. Secondly, be single-minded in worship of Jesus Christ. Be single-minded in the worship of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. When these disciples focused on worshiping Christ, their doubts vanished. The essence of true worship is a single-minded, unhindered, and unqualified concentration of Jesus Christ, on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Be devoted to worshiping God through your whole life. That's appropriate response to the Great Commission. Thirdly, be submissive. Having this attitude that Lord, all authority has been given to you. You are my authority. Whatever you ask me to do, I will do. A submissive attitude. Fourthly, make disciples. Make disciples. I think if Pastor Bob, Elder Bob were to be preaching this, he would say, invest in people. Same thing. Right. 
invest in people. What is discipleship? I think Gina quoted MacArthur, so I'll quote Gina, right? She said, uh, discipleship is spiritual friendship. That's right. That's so true. What is discipleship? It's investing in people. That's all it is. You're a Christian pursuing Christ, and you turn around, you invest in young believers, non-Christians, other believers. That's what discipleship is. I had a conversation with a guy in our church recently, and it was, it was very, very impressive, very encouraging. Um, he was telling me how he came to our church three years ago, and he was very gifted, very able, you know, clearly a man of God, and he wanted to influence people. He wanted to be a leader. He wanted to impact people for Christ. So he, he understood leadership in terms of positional leadership. He wanted a title. He wanted a ministry. He wanted a position. And he said he was frustrated because people weren't being influenced by him. People weren't following him. People weren't coming to him for counsel. He wasn't making an impact. And he said, it, it might be because the elders aren't supporting me. Right? It's the leader's fault. The elders aren't really uh, affirming my leadership. He struggled with that for a while, and he said he had a paradigm shift. Here lies leadership is influence, investing in people. It's not about positions. People don't follow titles. So he took a step back, and he said to himself, I'm just going to invest in those people that are around me. Whoever God brings my way, I'm going to love that person, share with that person the word of God. I'm going to serve that person, pray for and with that person, buy that person meals, be available. I'm just going to invest in that person's life, invest in people. I'll tell you what, his impact, the cornerstone, skyrocketed. I mean, past year, I've heard from numerous people, and his name constantly pops up. Just his leadership, just his service, the impact that he's made in, that, in, his, in the person's life. Why? Because make disciples is investing in people. It's not a title, it's not a position, it's not a ministry. People are the ends, right? Everything is a means. And ministry, first of all, is relationships. And finally, lean on God's power. Lean on God's power. Christ says at the end, I am with you to the close of the age. He did not just command them to go, but he said, I am going with you. We are all inadequate. We're all weak. We have all failed and will fail. But our gospel is not ourselves. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? Our adequacy is not in of ourselves, but it's in Christ. An appropriate response to the Great Commission. Second set of applications for you guys. Um, you know, are you considering um, what your role is in terms of world evangelism? Now, we talk about roles a lot in church, right? You know, father, husband, wife, children, elder, member. But when's the last time you considered your role in terms of world evangelism? I think the role is very simple. You, either you're a sender or you go. Right? You either support or you go. When's the last time you thought about actually going? I'm not talking about two weeks. I'm talking about long term. I mean, living for Christ. And proclaiming um, God's word to a people who've never heard to a people group that do not have an opportunity to hear the gospel. You know, as a pastor of Cornerstone, no, I think I said this several times, no other ministry envies me. I don't have any desire to serve in any other church. Really. 
I mean, if any church were to call me, I have no desires. But yeah, I have a, I have a desire to minister abroad. That appeals to me. The, thing, the, the thought of going to a country where there's only a few Christians and to make an impact for Christ in that context. Well, are you considering that? Are you really wrestling with God and sensing if God's calling you to go? Right. Well, let me give you 10 ways to avoid being a long-term missionary. Right? Let me, let me give you 10 ways to definitely quiet that, that voice, that call in your heart to be a missionary. Number one, ignore the Lord's command to look at the harvest field in John 4.35. When you watch the news and watch people in Afghanistan or India suffer, see it from a human perspective. Right? Don't even consider that there are souls needing Christ. Purely, When you read the newspaper, when just read Newsweek or Time magazine, see it, read it as a non-Christian, don't look at the harvest field. See them as a harvest. Secondly, focus your energy on a socially legitimate target. Focus all your efforts on a bigger salary, on a, on a job promotion, on a better car, a bigger home, a retirement plan. Just think about those things. Then, then you're, you're, you're safe. Thirdly, get married as fast as you can to someone who is not committed to the Lord. Marry someone who is spiritually complacent because that person will never think about missions, will never think about evangelism, never challenge you. So commit to that person right away. Right. Fifthly, stay away from missionaries. Right. If a missionary comes to our church, you stand on the other side of the building. Don't ever talk to the missionary. Don't ask him questions about missions. Don't read, ever read missionary biographies. Don't ever do that. Right. Sixthly, uh, when you think about unreached people groups, think about the impossible places and say, well, that's impossible. Think about Iraq, Afghanistan, North Korea, and say, well, that's impossible, and stop your thought there. Right. Forget the vast uh, opportunities of evangelism throughout the world in various capacities. Think about, I could never be a pastor. I could never be a senior church planner. Just think of the impossibilities and stop your thought there. Seventhly, dwell on your own past failures. Right? Just think about just what, you know, just a fool you are, how you don't know anything, all the mistakes you've made. Just dwell on that. Just dwell on your inadequacies, your inabilities. Right? Next, always think of missionaries as talented, super spiritual people, super Christians. But there are special category of believers that regular Christians cannot, cannot do this work. Think one, eight. Um, agree with the people who tell you that you're indispensable where you are. That you're so pivotal here that you're irreplaceable, indispensable. If you leave, you know, the United States will fall apart. Your church will fall apart. Your company will fall apart. And you cannot leave. Nine, worry incessantly about money. Just think about money all the time. Worry about your savings, your investments. You know, just worry about your checking account. Just worry about money all the time. And then finally, if you feel you must go, go right away. Don't get trained. Don't, get, don't prepare. 
and then you'll go and fail and you'll come back and you say, well, at least I tried. Right. But don't prepare yourself at the possibility of going. Right. Just stay unequipped, untrained. Oh, we are sending 11 men and women to short-term missions this summer. But in a way, it's, it's a reminder for all of us of our mission in life. What is your mission in life today? Are you a missionary? Are you a missionary? Do you know your mission in life? Our mission to evangelize the world, proclaim the gospel to this generation of non-Christians. Let's pray.